Good morning, everybody, and praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, um, it's been quite an eventful week for some of us, obviously. Um, and our prayers are really uh, with you, Anne, and your family, um, even as you go through this trying time. And indeed, with um, other people, I know Mama Judith is still, um, I think, um, still unwell, so we still need to pray into that. And as well as people who are going through difficult situations, our prayers are really with you, and we need to learn to pray for one another as a church. Amen. So this morning, I'm bringing you the word, um, and for those who have not been with us in the last couple of weeks, we are actually doing a series on the parables of Jesus, the parables of Jesus. These are basically short stories that Jesus told his audience um, to bring knowledge and wisdom about the kingdom of God, about how we can grow, how we can prosper, how we can be strong within his kingdom. And so far, we have covered two parables. We started off a couple of weeks ago with the parable of the father and his two sons. Uh, that's the prodigal son. And then last week we did, Alistair preached on the parable of the wheat and the tares. If you by any chance missed any of these sermons and you'd like to hear them, they are available on our website, so you can just go onto KIC Luboa, um, type in KIC Luboa on internet and then go to talks and you'll be able to hear these um, uh, preachings. So today we're going to focus on the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and let me just start by asking this. How many of us here, um, perhaps if you look back in your past, um, you were faced with a very difficult situation or a crisis, and then somebody unexpectedly turns up and helps you out of it, just by show of hands, okay? Yeah, just out of the blue, somebody turns up and helps you out. So, Exactly, there's many of us, and this parable is very, very practical in that sense because um, Samaritans, good Samaritans are there, um, and they're there to, um, they're instruments of God's provision, God's strength, and God's kindness, and God's goodness. Um, and part of this parable really addresses that. Now, <clears throat> the parable itself is found in Luke chapter 10. Uh, verse 30 to 37. Um, it's not a long story, it's just a few verses. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37. And before we go into the actual story, it's important to understand the background to it. Where was Jesus coming from when he actually told this parable? So what we're going to do is we're going to start a few verses before actually Luke chapter 10, verse 30. We're going to start on verse 25. Okay, verse 25. Let's go to verse 25, because that gives a, a good background on what was going on. So, behold, a lawyer stood up to, to put him to the test. Okay, thank you. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, that's Jesus talking to the lawyer, said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So let's just pause there for a while. In this passage, basically a lawyer approaches Jesus. And this is not the lawyers that we know lawyers today. It's um, 
lawyers in those days were experts in the law of Moses. They studied the law of Moses and they knew it inside out. So his subject, he came to Jesus and his subject was really, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus essentially referred him back to the law uh, and to what it says. Um, now, there's something that we need to know just to understand the context of this. Jesus is talking to a lawyer who lives, uh, who was a Jew. This man was a Jew. And the Jews at that time were under the old covenant. The Jews were under the old covenant. They lived under the law. The law was essentially the Ten Commandments as we know them today, together with all the commandments that were given to the Israelites um, in the Old Testament, as recorded in the Old Testament. Okay? So the lawyer very correctly and very wisely actually summarized all those commandments and laws in the Old Testament. There's about 600 plus of them, and they're all basically rooted um, or they are, they are based on the foundation of this one great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So this is what the lawyer answered. Now, um, we on the other hand, we who live in this current time, after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are under a new covenant. And there is a very big difference between the two covenants, okay? Some of you may know this and some may not, but there is actually a very, very big difference between the two covenants, between the, what the Jews lived under and what we, um, post-resurrection of Christ, uh, what we live under. Under the old covenant, you are basically responsible to obey the law and to obey it perfectly, that was your responsibility. You obey the law and you obey it perfectly. And this is why the lawyer essentially was pointed back to the law. This is why the, Jesus told the lawyer, you need to go back to the law and see what it says and do what it says. But under the new covenant, Jesus obeys the law perfectly. Okay? The new covenant is centered on Jesus. He obeyed the law perfectly. Now we are united to him by faith. And so we inherit eternal life in a different way from the way that the lawyer was told. We inherit eternal life because of what Jesus did. When we are united to him, we become co-heirs with him. So it's not really about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about what he has done. And therefore, when we believe in what he has done, we then become inheritors of eternal life life. And so for us, who are in the new covenant, it's called a better, a better covenant. Eh? Um, we have the eternal life as a free gift. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, the free, it's, you know, it's, it's a free gift of God. Um, it comes from God. It is given by God. Uh, the works were established by God. And so it's a free gift that we received uh, by faith because we are in union with Christ Jesus. So I thought that's a slight diversion, but it's important for us to understand um, this, because we are in the new covenant. So eternal life is really about the quality of life, and this is what the lawyer was looking for, the quality of life that we live in or we live by. Um, it begins here on earth. So eternal life is not waiting until you get to heaven and then you begin to enjoy life. It really begins here. The minute you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you have inherited eternal life. First John chapter 5, verse 12 says, He who has the Son... Not he who will have the son, but he who has the son has life. And all that is left for us is really to grow in the knowledge of what we have. And this is why, essentially, we can have testimonies like what um, Sister Anne was, was sharing. You can go through very difficult situations and very trying times and still have the strength 
still draw on the strength because you are with him. It is a quality of life that is very different. It really doesn't depend so much on circumstances. And indeed, these circumstances are real and they're painful and they're hurtful. But we have something that is so much stronger than the circumstances around us. And we can stand strong in those circumstances. Amen. Um, so the lawyer wanted to know a little bit more. And so from this point now, Jesus begins on this parable, um, the story of the Good Samaritan. So let's go to verse 30. So wait, that's where it begins. And it says, uh, Jesus replied to the lawyer and tells him a story. And he says, in verse 30, <clears throat> we're going there? <laughs> okay, thank you. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and left him half dead. So the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was actually a distance of about 25 kilometers. And that's roughly uh, the distance between here and possibly Entebbe, if you're using the old road, not the express. That's basically the distance. And it was used mainly by pilgrims, pilgrims who were going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple because the temples were quoted in Jerusalem. And it was also a road that had a lot of, it was a very risky road. It had a lot of um, violent robberies. Um, thieves and robbers would lie in wait, waiting for pilgrims, caravans of pilgrims coming through that road, and then they would attack them and steal everything that they had. They would hijack those caravans and steal from them. So this guy who was a Jew that uh, uh, Jesus is talking about, he was a Jew, and he might have been returning back from the pilgrim, pil pilgrimage because he was coming from Jerusalem and he was going back to Jericho, and he was traveling alone. So the robbers took advantage of that. They attacked him, they beat him, they stripped him of everything that he had, and they left him for dead, okay? Now, after a while, some people passed by, and this is where um, the narration really starts. Verse 31, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, when he saw this victim, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. In verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So basically, three people passed on this road, and two of them was a priest and a Levite, who essentially ignored the man. Priests and Levites, um, in those days, ministered to God in the temple. Uh, their responsibilities were slightly different. Uh, priests were mediators between God and man, but Levites were the ones who did the practical jobs. Eh? They looked after the, the temple, um, they did the singing, they, did, they guarded the temple, uh, they looked after the treasury of the temple, and so on. Uh, but both of them were ministers within the temple, and it was a requirement, actually, for them to be separated from the rest of the Israelites. There were very strict requirements on, on what they were supposed to do. Um, there were rituals that they had to go through to be separate, to be considered separate um, and clean, so to speak, for the services that they did. Now, one of those rituals was that, one of those requirements was they should never go near dead bodies. They should never touch dead bodies. And so it's most likely that these two people, as they passed by, they saw this man lying there, um, half dead, and in their mind, they were so fixated in obeying the law that they really failed to meet the needs of this young man. So they left him injured to suffer, even as they went on their way to perform their duties. Um, but there was another traveler, the Samaritan, 
Um, and he responded very, very differently. He chose to minister to the injured man. In verse 34, it says, he went to him, he bound up his wounds, he poured oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then verse 35, the very next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to, to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So the Samaritans and the Jews, just to, to understand, the Samaritans and the Jews, by the way, were related, but they were enemies. Um, their bloodlines were mixed all the way up to, you know, quite some stretching back into history. But really, at the time of Jesus, they were very, very, um, there was a lot of animosity between them. And they had evolved over time into different cultures. They worshipped God differently um, and from different places. The Jews' center of worship was Jerusalem. The Samaritans' center of worship was Samaria. And they had all these other things that really made the conflict worse. They were so hostile to one another that even Jesus himself experienced that hostility at one time. He wanted to go to, the, to Jerusalem and he wanted to pass through the village of uh, a Samaritan village. And they actually blocked his access because they recognized him as a Jew and they said, you can't go because, you know, they were very unwelcoming to him. So he had to literally divert his passage. Um, and so that was really the, the animosity and the, and the hostility that existed between the Samaritans and the Jews. So in a, in a sense, it was a little surprising that Jesus identifies the Samaritan as the person who actually came and gave uh, and ministered to the needs of this injured man. So for the rest of this sermon, what I'm going to do is really just list some things that we can learn from this Samaritan. We can learn uh, from the, this, uh, this man who ministered, but as well as some things that we can learn from this victim, this, this man who really um, fell to robbers and was beaten and was left for the dead. Because the reality is that when we are in the kingdom of God, when we are in the kingdom of God, there are going to be opportunities for us to be good Samaritans. There are going to be opportunities for us to minister to others, to touch others' lives. Those opportunities are going to be there. But there are also times, even when we are in the kingdom of God, there are going to be times when we are going to be the, like the injured man. We are in need of help because we are going through a crisis, because we feel we've been beaten, we've been isolated, we've been left, um, we've been crushed. So both, in both scenarios, when you look at these two individuals, there's much that we can learn from them. So let's start with the Samaritan uh, himself. Uh, we can learn, first of all, from the Samaritan, we can learn to see the needs of others. We can learn to be moved by compassion, and we can learn to minister to their needs. Those three things, to see the need of others, to see the need of others. And the reality is there are needs everywhere. If you've lived long enough on this earth, you'll probably identify there are needs everywhere, everywhere. And we come across them every day um, in our day-to-day -day lives. Le needs in our family, needs amongst our relatives, our friends, needs in our communities, in our nation. Um, we come across them every single day. Verse 33 says, the Samaritan came to where he, the victim, was and saw him. He came to where the victim was and saw him. Now, this is one thing to learn. We can only respond to a need when we come to where it is and we see that need. We see the person in that need. The, best, the biblical definition of, of, of to see, to see, is really to discern. It's not just physical seeing. It's not our eyesight. It's really to discern 
What is the actual need? And this is important to be able to see properly. It's very, very important because many times the need is not obvious. The need is not obvious. The need must be discerned. I'll give you an example. In the book of Acts, Peter and John were going to a temple uh, to pray. Um, and then they came across this beggar, who, uh, a crippled beggar actually, who was doing what he normally did. He was begging. He was begging for money. And you might think the need there is to give him money and then continue on your journey. And you'll think the problem has been solved. But that was actually not the need. In this chapter, we don't have time to go into it, but it says basically Peter and John directed their gaze at him. They looked at him steadfastly. They saw his need. They discerned his need. In other words, they really saw where he was at and what he really needed. And the need was not for silver or gold. In fact, many times when we just give the money, it amplifies the problem. I don't know if you've realized that. So we need to go to the root need. And, and so they saw the need and they told the man, we don't have silver, we don't have gold to give you. But what we do have, we shall give you. And then they released him. They set him free in the name of Jesus from his crippled situation. And he was set free. And now he could go and literally be free, not just from the crippled situation, but also from the beggar, the dignity, the, the lack of dignity in begging. He was completely set free. So the reality is we need to see the need. This is what we learned from the Samaritan. What is it that is actually needed? You know, one time I had a friend who was going through a very difficult situation. Um, and she called me and she said, um, pray for me, I'm going through this. So I sensed the spirit tell me that go and see her, go and visit her. So I called her, I said, do you have some time? I'm coming to see you. She said, yeah, you're welcome. So I went to see her. And as I went, I mean, I was basically speaking in tongues and just praying to the, to the Lord, what is it you want me to minister to her? What are the things you want me to say to her? And the Holy Spirit gave me a strange message. He said, don't tell her anything. Just listen. Just listen. So I went in. I, I sat with her. For over an hour, she just poured out her heart. She was talking about all the issues she was going through, the challenges she was going through. Um, and I really didn't say anything during that time, apart from just listening intently, um, listening attentively. And then at the end, the spirit just said, okay, just pray over her, and then you can leave. So I said, okay, with all these things, let's just present them before the Lord, and let's pray. And so we prayed. And at the end of the prayer, I, I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know, Monica, I am so glad that you came and you listened. I just feel as if a burden has been lifted. She just said that. And you know, I didn't minister a word, I didn't minister anything, I just walked in obedience, as Irene was saying, I walked in obedience with the Spirit, just listen and pay attention and hear. And her need was addressed. Amen? So we need to really be discerning when it comes to the needs around us. Okay, that's one thing learned from the Samaritan woman. Then. We need to learn to move with compassion from the Samaritan man, sorry. We need to learn to move with compassion. Whenever we reach out to help others, we must do so out of compassion. And this is what motivated the Samaritan to help the injured man. It was compassion. You know, many times people meet the needs of others for very funny hidden agendas. 
You know, somebody may meet your need with the intent that next time you have a, I have a need, I want you to reciprocate. So it's not really compassion, it's really I want you to pay back at a certain point. Sometimes we reach out to help others or to, to meet their needs out of guilt. It's, it's, not, it's not healthy, you know, working out of guilt or walking in guilt. You feel you've not done something, let me just do something so that I can, I can massage the guilt. Okay, so this, in the kingdom of God, we are motivated differently. We are motivated by compassion. Okay, what is compassion? Compassion is described really as love in some sections of the, of the Bible and in some places as pity or mercy. Compassion is when you see a need of, uh, for uh, somebody's need and then you identify with that need. You put yourself in the situation where they are. You feel their pain, you feel their heart and then you are compelled to act. So compassion pushes you be beyond just seeing somebody and saying, Eva, I'm sorry, and then you go your way. Compassion has, you know, drives a compulsion in you. I want to help. I need to help. And there are many examples in the Bible where um, th that the God's compassion, where we see demonstrations of God's compassion towards his people. For example, um, at one time I was talking to Moses, um, when he came to Moses at the burning bush, he met Moses uh, through the experience of the burning bush. And he said this to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. God said this to Moses. He says, um, and he was talking about his, his, his identification with the Israelites' pain when they were still in Egypt. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. So you note that word again. I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And then he says, I know their sufferings. I know their sufferings. To know in, in, in biblical um, language means to identify with, to be in that place where you literally go through the same pain, the same heart, the same experience as the other person. I know their sufferings. And then he goes on to say what he is really compelled to do. Verse 8, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So compassion really moves you to act, to alleviate that suffering, that pain, in whatever way that you can actually do it. Another example is Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 36, it says, Jesus went through all the villages and towns, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Basically went about doing what he normally went about doing. Then it goes on to say that when he saw the crowds, again that key word, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we know he went on to become the chief shepherd. So that's compassion. That's compassion. True compassion identifies with a need and wants to really help. And in God's kingdom, we are motivated to act based on compassion or based on love. In fact, this is such a strong thing that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, Paul talks about this element of love. It's the more excellent way. And he says, whatever you do, whether speak in tongues, do great miracles, whatever it is you do, if you don't do it out of love, you are just making noise. It's, he says, we are nothing without it. We have nothing. 
love is truly the most excellent way. So we, we are motivated to act out of compassion or out of love. The third thing we can learn from the Samaritan is how to meet the needs of others. Listen to this. The Samaritan took care of the, took care of the injured man's needs. Can you remember what he did? Oil and wine to heal his wounds, to bind up his injuries. He set him on an animal, yes, exactly. Put him in his car, that's the equivalent. <laughs> took him to the inn, took care of him in the inn, and then paid the innkeeper to keep looking after him. So very specific actions to meet the needs of this man, this injured man. Now, have you noticed that in all this, the Samaritan did not run out of resources or supplies to minister to the need. He really didn't. He already had what was needed to meet the needs of the injured man. It's not as if he had to, you know, um, go to the supermarket to buy the oil um, and the wine, or look for an animal, borrow one from his neighbor, or even search for the money to take care of this man. The Samaritan already had what was needed. And this is a key lesson that God already provides us with what is needed in order to meet the needs of others, of our neighbors, same as the Samaritans. It's really being, about, uh, being a blessing to others because we are already blessed. We are already blessed. And there are so many blessings that we have that we can use to bless others. Some of them we really take for granted. For example, I think I can safely say, like in this church, if there's one thing that we have and we have in plenty, it's faith. You know, it takes faith to wake up on a Sunday morning, come to church, sit patiently, worship the Lord, listen to the word, be ministered to, minister to others, and then go home and continue in that ministry. It really takes faith. An ordinary human being without faith will not do that. So if there's one thing that we have, it's faith, supernatural faith, not just human faith that thinks the sun will rise up in the morning, you know, that's human faith, but supernatural faith. We have it, it is from God and it is of God. So with faith, you can do things that really the human, ordinary human person cannot do. With faith, you can pray for someone and with someone about their needs. And we're not just talking about the casual prayers that, you know, are just, you know, you meet someone, they have a need, and you're like, brother, I'll pray for you. And then you forget about him the next few minutes. It's really prayer that is born out of, I identify your need, I'm going to hold you in prayer. So we can do that. We really can. The prayers of faith are very, very powerful. Never underestimate the, the power of prayer that is said in faith. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person, in other words, somebody who is right with God, who is in right standing with God by faith, that prayer has great power and it is working. It doesn't stop working. It is working. This is why we should never really stop praying. Pray through the need. And many of us in this church have testified of how we've come together in groups. Maybe one or two people have stood with you and you have seen your needs met. Amen? So never underestimate what you actually have. Faith is just one example of the blessings that we have, but if you were to count your blessings, 
if you are to count your blessings, there are so many things that, the, that God has provided us with. A word in due season. We were talking to, about this in discipleship one, uh, last week, I think. We talked about the fact that you have the word of God on the inside of you. The word of God is very powerful. A word in due season can refresh and revive and change situations. So we really should not have the excuse of, well, I saw the need, but I really don't know what to do. Now, one other thing, does it mean that you're here to meet every person's need? Now, of course not. Jesus didn't meet every person's need, and neither can you. But however, we are to minister to others as occasion and opportunity open up to us. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, puts it very, very clearly. It says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those in the household of faith. As we have opportunities, let us do good to everyone. So sometimes there is a need, but there is no opportunity. So that shows that is not really your need to meet. Okay, so we need to be discerning. You're not here to meet every single need. Um, Jesus himself said, the poor you will always have amongst you, meaning he was not here to solve the poverty problem once and for all. There are certain specific opportunities that will open up to you and that you can really minister into. So this is the lessons we learned from the Samaritan, Samaritan man. We can learn to see the need, to have compassion, and be driven by compassion to actually meet the need based on what the Lord has blessed us with. Now, what about the man who was almost beaten to death? What can we learn from him? This man was a victim uh, and suffered tremendous injury. And like him, really, um, sometimes we can be faced with unexpected events, things we really didn't predict, we didn't know were going to happen, um, and they just hit us in the face unexpectedly. Bad things do happen to us as, as, as righteous people, even when we are in the kingdom of God. So we learn that in this world, you will have trouble. It's a reality. Christianity is not one blissful journey with no problems. Okay? So sometimes along the way, along our journey, we'll meet crisis, we'll hit painful events, events that set us back and even seem to, to really beat us. You know, you might be thinking, oh, life is going on well, everything is in order, and then something just comes and it's like you move almost 10 steps back. And some of those crises may really be a result of bad choices that we make. That's the reality. We are not perfect. Sometimes we make bad choices. So some of those crises may be a result of the bad choices that we make or the bad choices that other people make. Um, this man was traveling alone. Generally speaking, you, you needed to travel in groups to, to, to at least be able to fight back. But this man was traveling alone. Um, so some of these crises may, in a sense, uh, be triggered by what decisions we are making. Uh, but some of those crises are, are triggered really by the enemy. The enemy roams around us. You know, he's seeking whom he can steal from, who, who he can kill, and who he can destroy in various ways. So whatever the reason or the cause, there, there are times that you and I are going to be in need of help. So that's something that we need to learn from this man. In this life, we will have trouble. But the good news, the other good news is that God is our helper. God is our helper there. Um, like the Samaritan, God is well equipped to help us, to provide for us what we need in times of need. He will never let us down. Psalms 147 verse 3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. 
God will provide help sometimes in ways that you really don't expect. And this goes back to my very first question when I asked, you've been in a situation where something happened and somebody unexpectedly comes in and helps you. That was the hand of the Lord. So the Lord may minister to you directly, but he could also send good Samaritans to come and minister to you. And most times, those Samaritans, people you least expect. I mean, a Samaritan and a Jew did not get along together. And yet here was this Samaritan coming along to minister to the needs of the Jew. There are other examples in the Bible where God actually met the needs of his people through people that you least expect. Do you remember how Moses, baby Moses, when he was still a baby, how he was saved from death? Anybody remember? Who saved him? Pharaoh's daughter, yes. Because Pharaoh himself had instituted the fact that you need to kill all the baby boys. Uh, but the mother actually put Moses in a little um, court and put it on the river. And Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, saved this young man who later became the, you know, the deliverer. Um, through him, God worked deliverance to the Israelites. Um, and there are many other examples. If you study the history of Israel, God used, uh, you know, God, uh, Israel at one time were, captive, were, were, were made captive under the Babylonian Empire. And the person who, set, who has actually God used to set them free was another pagan, um, Cyrus. His name was King Cyrus. He issued a decree that released the Israelites from, free, from slavery. Uh, and then he allowed them to go back to their home, homeland and actually rebuild the temple. He even provided resources, even as a pagan king, he provided the resources to rebuild the temple. Imagine that. The lesson here is that God will never leave us helpless. He never will leave us helpless. That is his promise to us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's Hebrews chapter 13, uh, uh, verse 6. Never leave you, never forsake you. Paul said this very well because Paul was one person who went through a lot of afflictions, a lot of pain, and he really wrote this in his letter to the Corinthians, and he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 to 10, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are never forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus Christ. So the life of Christ, that abundance, eternal life, that life that is supernatural, we always carry it in our bodies. And it is always being made manifest. God is working to make it manifest in our lives. Okay, so I'm going to stop here um, because of time. And I want us really to, to pray um, even as we think through this uh, story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, I want us, first of all, to reflect on what we've had, um, the things that God has touched your heart with concerning the Good Samaritan. Uh, there is a message that Irene mentioned, the fact that maybe to some of you, God is speaking to you to, to help, to intervene in a situation. And I also sense it very strongly. Perhaps God wants you to be a Good Samaritan in a particular situation. And he's already told you about it, but you're, you're, you're hesitating. Perhaps you're fearing. Perhaps you're worried. Will it actually work? But God is prompting you and saying, be the good Samaritan in this situation. In that case, pray about that. Speak to the Lord and see how to wisely walk into that need. And perhaps you're the injured party and you really want to receive from God. 
And this message really speaks into your heart, the fact that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Stand strong in his word because his word is powerful. Amen. Let's rise to our feet. Father, we thank you that you have blessed us in order that we may be a blessing to others. Help us to see and to discern the needs of those around us, to be moved with the compassion that you've had on us, to be moved by that same compassion to help to minister to the needs of others. And Father, we also thank you that you help to meet our needs, that in times of need, you are our helper. Thank you that you come to us in various ways, some of them unexpected, sometimes to unexpected people. Nevertheless, that we can stand in faith knowing that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. That out of the brokenness that the enemy may have planned for us, that we will go through healing and that we will stand strong and give a powerful testimony of, of how you have helped us. We glorify you, Lord, in anticipation of the fact that you will take us through every crisis, every situation that the enemy intended for bad, that you will turn it around and make it good, because you are a good God. And Father, I pray over everyone this morning who has had this message. I pray for the word as it settles in their hearts, I pray that the enemy will not steal it from them, that, but rather that it will be established in our hearts. And Lord, as they leave this place, thank you that you have promised that your spirit will continue to walk with us. And that same spirit, the spirit of power, of love, of comfort, that spirit will continue to be with us now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen and amen. Amen. Indeed. Thank you, Jesus. Tea and coffee is available. Um, say hello to someone. Um, see if there's an opportunity, a need you need to minister to. Or if you need healing, we can, here we can pray with you. Um, if you've gone through a tough situation, you need a bit of talking to, then we are also here to uh, listen and to hear from you. Yeah, I'm really touched mm. about the bitter.